This is our last session for this course. What's next? Well, what's next is really up to you. It depends on what it means for you and if you've been able to gain anything from doing this practice. It's a worthwhile thing to try to bring the practice into daily life in a lively and dynamic fashion so that you're not relying on coming here. Otherwise, you don't really get the benefit of more mindfulness and awareness, more consciousness, so that you can bring a sense of care and focus and attention that supports deepening in wisdom. Most of the practice that we've done has been how to sit, how to breathe, how to focus, how to bring up awareness, how to be observant of what is going on in our consciousness. So what's the relationship between all that and what we do on the outside? In particular, what is our ethical or moral responsibility? This is a connection that might not be obvious, but I would hope that it is obvious. The first thing that is very, very important is for us to try to live a clean life. Each of you would know in the heart of your own hearts just how well you're able to manifest that. When I say a clean life, I mean that you have some commitment to moral principles and that you use them in your speech and conduct and your decision-making, even in the more invisible areas of work that you do in your heart, in your mind. That means integrity. And it's not just integrity with respect to others, but also being honest with ourselves about what we're doing and why we're doing things. If we just look good, but on the inside, we're really not preserving much integrity, then that's, that's not helpful. Meditation practice works best when we are practicing a high level of integrity with ourselves. So that means that if we're pretending or not being open with people, false, the way we represent ourselves, or working in a business that's unethical, for example, and you're just thinking, well, I have to make a living, but you do it anyway, then it would be very difficult to be able to sit down and make peace with yourself quickly. Because eventually, there's this incompatibility going on. Paying attention to the present moment and observing your breath is a very intimate and microscopic examination of your whole psyche and how you are functioning and all the processes around that, all the infrastructure of the heart that supports the way that you function in the world and the way you represent yourself to the world. So if in any way there's a lack of integrity, you're going to have to reconcile yourself to that. And that will happen in the silence of your mind. Now, whether or not it can happen depends really on how honest you can be with yourself. So it's not just a matter of watching your breath, magic formula, your mind is clear. It doesn't work like that. 
the things that are going to bubble to the surface and percolate up relate to and reflect very much the kind of life that we live. So we're going to have to acknowledge and confront the inconsistencies, the paradoxes, the irreconcilable bits, and make peace with them somehow. Somehow when we start to remember, it's just going to come up in consciousness a memory or the information will suddenly appear about your lifestyle or who you're working for and you might have some feeling of ethical conflict around that. And that might bring up a lot of turbulence. In fact, you might decide that you don't want to meditate because it's making you upset. But it's not the meditation that's making you upset. What it's doing, it's highlighting aspects of your life that do not conduce, do not support true inner happiness because there's something not completely right in there. And it's a good thing if we can look at that and make some kind of adjustment so that we're holding to our true principles without compromise. The older we get and the longer we compromise our principles, even a little percent, any percent, it's a breach. It's a betrayal. And the good thing about this practice is that in learning more about how we function, we can discover these breaches and betrayals and we can clean up our act. Certainly that's something worth doing. But it's a very personal decision. The meditation practice supports the process whereby we begin to see how our own happiness, our inner happiness, depends on reconciling, depends on pulling together a high degree of integrity in our lives and sustaining it. It depends on it. So we are confronted with a big decision. You quit the job and you can live with yourself. I remember once at the end of a retreat, I was giving a sermon about this very topic, the relationship of meditation practice to ethical living. A doctor came up to me and he said, I work in a hospital and I'm asked to perform abortions and I can't say no. What should I do? And I said, in our tradition, abortion is, is killing. So if you feel comfortable with doing this, then you have to decide. But if you continue to practice this meditation and you look deeply into your heart, you're going to feel that that's not right livelihood. But you're a doctor and you're working in a public institution. So maybe you need to find another job. So if you want to walk the spiritual path in all seriousness, this practice may cause you to reconsider all kinds of things about your life. Not just your job, but your friends. What do your friends do? What do you do? How do you spend your leisure time, not just your work time? So there's so many questions that will start to come up. And making peace is not just 
breathing quietly of an afternoon and feeling good about yourself. But it comes on a much more deep level, examining your life from A to Z. Relationships to your family members. Are they hostile and aggressive? Are they conflicted and why? Where is the suffering coming from? How does it begin? These are all things that we'll start to uncover and explore as we go into the depths of our hearts. And we may dust off places that we find quite scary to look at. But then covering it and pretending it doesn't exist is not the answer. Ethical responsibility speaks to ethical wholeness. Ethical wholeness is purity. It's a pure ability to be true to ourselves at a very deep level. So why should we hide anything from it? Why should we keep things hidden? Because we feel some shame. We all make mistakes in life. And one of the guiding principles of this practice is forgiveness. So it's not trying to hide mistakes and pretend they never happened, but to acknowledge that I did this and I don't feel good about it, and then to make some commitment once we discover that and we can be honest enough to look at it, examine it, and make peace with it, then that's not enough. Then our moral responsibility then is to commit not to repeat that again. That's very, very important. And if we can do that, then that can be supported by this kind of spiritual practice. And this kind of commitment will also support our spiritual practice. They're very compatible and interdependent. So there's a deep connection there. Nothing should escape our perusal or our scrutiny. We have to be meticulous. And we have to be scrupulous, very scrupulous. And this is a private matter, but certainly if we want to evolve and mature as human beings, why shouldn't we do this with utmost urgency? The principles that really uphold our highest levels of virtue are principles of harmlessness, such as not killing, not harming, not physically harming, not harming by failing to respect the rights or property of others. So this honesty in many ways is to, to not betray others, not betray ourselves and not betray others through violence. And that includes betrayal in relationship. So it's not having an affair so common in our society, though there's a veneer of it not being allowable. It just seems to be so common that people are constantly juggling their relationships in a way that satisfies desire. So is sensual desire so important that we have to compromise our principles for it? I've heard people rationalize in so many ways and this is, again, that we have to sit down with ourselves and think and look. What harm are we causing by satisfying our own desires or needs? I need to do this. 
I need to have this. I need to go and be with whatever. Fill in the blanks. So it's nonviolence and harmlessness in our speech as well. So of course, truthful speech, careful speech, compassionate, not gossiping, not being frivolous or wasting our time just chit-chatting. But guarding the silence also sometimes it's, as you've discovered in this work that we're doing together, how valuable the silence can be. But sometimes we fill up the silent spaces because we feel nervous or because we're so used to being busy and you can't bear to just sit quietly together. If you're not nervous, the other person is, so you start talking to cover up their nervousness, to try to comfort them. It's a comfort world. We need so much soothing and comforting and, and being propped up in so many ways. But is it really what we need? Maybe this introducing more silence into our daily lives. You might not call it meditation, just being still, just stopping. Stopping the mouth, stopping the mind. We're trying to stop the mind here so that we can learn to stop in many other ways. But never to stop our ethical intention and carry it through. That We should never stop that. Again, doing good or acting from purity of mind and heart is not just doing what you think is right or doing what looks right. But our motivation is very important. And that's something that awareness can help us understand more and more. As we sharpen our awareness of how decisions get formed in our lives, then we will be able to act and speak and even think more pure thoughts, more kind thoughts, more wholesome thoughts towards each other and towards ourselves. Instead of beating yourself up, I'm not good enough, look what, oh, what a mess my life is in, how am I ever going to be whole, ethically whole. Then instead of doing that, we, by being aware, we learn not to believe in those tapes and to press the off button as fast as the mind keeps throwing up the negative thoughts. Just keep pressing off. Stop the tape and change the tape to kindness and forgiveness and compassion. Now you can do things differently with awareness and mindfulness, with faith in your ability to change by emptying out the rubbish of the mind. Then we moment by moment commit ourselves to a new ethic. And that new ethic we can keep just keep it for one minute. But one minute at a time leads to five minutes, leads to an hour. And that's the basis of your whole day. If you start your day with an hour of intentional ethical considerations, then your whole day will be spent on a different note. If you can do that for a whole day, you can do it for a week. If you can do it for a week, you can do it for your life. Because we learn step by step. It's like when you have surgery or an accident and you've been bedridden for a while, then you can't just jump out of bed and walk. You have to learn it all over again. Having maybe a little bit of a, a weak place that needs strengthening. It's the same thing. 
It's like using a muscle that's, that somehow got shoved backstage. You forgot you even had it. And then what's very interesting is that when we learn this process and we give ourselves to it, this is what should be leading us, guiding us. Then we start to make an ethical footprint. That's much more important than your carbon footprint. In fact, if our carbon footprint was an ethical footprint, it would be wonderful. So conscientiousness with the environment, that's social responsibility, and it's based on ethical strength. Now, doing this in daily life means that when you come to sit, you're going to be so much more at ease with yourself. You won't be operating from just greed, hatred, and delusion, which is what we usually operate from. And you might think, oh, not me. I'm a good person, and I, I'm not a greedy person, and etc., etc. Yes, it's true. However, society is constantly advertising and telling us that we should have more and get more and earn more, then where does it end? So we might think that we're not greedy, but in fact, we are unconsciously living by greed. We're acting on greed quite a lot because we believe all these messages and we are looking for a better house, a better computer. But that's only normal. You might, of course, rationalize that everyone is doing it. Does that make it right? That's our predicament now. Everyone is doing it, and this is how our norms get whittled away. When we have a powerful ethical footprint in our life, and we sit down to meditate, our ability to calm stress and be serene and penetrate into the depths of the heart will be strengthened. We won't have hidden things to dig out, wreckage to haul out of the attic, the wreckage of something from our life, and put back together and dust off, because we'll be so whole inside. So you see how these two processes, these two journeys are really one journey. And the two parts of that one journey getting sewed together little by little. It's like you think that you know the palm of your hand, but you don't know the back of it. And once you know the back of it, you know it's like just knowing yourself completely. Both sides, every side, every bit, every part. That means also we have to face our addictions. We might not be addicted to illegal drugs, but we might be addicted to legal drugs. Or we might be addicted to food substances or TV or shopping. So many things that we can be addicted to. I'm just trying to fill in some of the colors on the canvas of our life. We might be critical of people who are 
junkies, but we're, we're chocolate junkies or coffee junkies ourselves, whatever it is. Just to be conscious of that and to understand the intentions that lead us there, the lack of awareness about that whole process. And how by sitting in the silence and practicing conscious attention to the present moment, we can begin to study how intention arises in the mind and reformulate right there so that we can not be the slave to these habits. So those are some of the moral commitments that we can make to stabilize ourselves in the world with a strong ethical basis and thereby be able to live more fully, more fruitfully, like human beings blossoming and maturing in the way that is what we would aspire towards. We would feel very, very peaceful and fulfilled. It's a peace that is free. Uh, you, can, you can experience it anywhere. And this peace is a quality that when you are able to see someone at hospice or work with a patient, drive them somewhere, and you approach them with this kind of radiant feeling in your heart, it's the most wonderful gift. You will never feel thrown off balance by whatever predicament arises in caring for them or ministering to their needs or having to speak and address their family members because you will be able to come back to this peaceful space and work from there and what a blessing and it's contagious but you might wonder how you can reestablish it in the busyness of, of life how? practice just by doing it over and over again and learning that route back to the present moment, how to return there quickly. So if you come in and there's a panic with a patient and you don't know what to do, you know how to calm your mind and how to return to that island of peace. You just know how to set foot there with your mind. You just step with your mind into that space, take a deep breath, bring up awareness, go to the body, feel your fear, feel your reactivity, feel the sense of overwhelm, or just reacting to the pain of the other person. If we can spend time with that fear without being frightened of the feeling, just by going to the body, we can handle a physical feeling in the body, can't we? What does it feel like? It's a trembling. It's a, a nervousness, it's a contraction, it's a, an explosion going on in there. That we can be with. And then we can restore a sense of balance and equilibrium from which to work. A stability. This practice, this teaching is priceless. That's why I'm here. That's why I've given my life to it. I discovered and felt that this was something so noble I made a life-altering decision to wear the robe and shave my head live a very directed way 
to cultivate this kind of practice and to try to help others interested in cultivating it. Religion means reconnecting, getting re-linked back to my original, what we really are. Who am I? Where is that divinity? Rather than thinking it's out there, to explore it within myself. So that's what it means to me. It's not just rites and rituals, that's a support, just like a chair, something to sit on, something that helps bring us back, just like our attention helps bring us back to the breath. So the rites and rituals help us remember how to do things beautifully. Like, I never eat without saying a blessing to express my gratitude to my teachers. So it's more just an acknowledgement of blessing. And you create the blessing. Then you take the food. It's not just food. It becomes something sacred. So when you do that with every moment, every part of my life has this little process. I even bless my robes. And that helps keep the mind very focused. You don't have to make any decisions when you get up. It's always the same color, and it's the same thing every day, same fashion, it doesn't change. Different things will come up at different times. Make nothing important out of any of it. The most important thing is to cultivate the ability to be aware and not get excited. Oh, look at that. I must be progressing. (laughs) Always use the feeling that's arising as what you can focus on so that you don't get hooked on any particular experience. This is what we've been given, and it's an impermanent temple. It's not going to last. And we have the ability to use this temple as a sacred space. That's why the ethical component is so important. Because if the temple isn't clean, what kind of practice can you do in a dirty place? We have to really make sure that it's absolutely pure inside. And we start with where we are, so we just work at purifying ourselves. You know, I can't tell you how helpful sometimes a mistake can be, how awful it feels when you say something you regret to someone. But the important thing is to realize that it was harmful to the other person and then commit not to do that and we learn from that then our misstep becomes a teacher next time I'll be more sensitive I'll be more careful I'll be wiser but not if I keep beating myself up so we forgive ourselves we have to forgive and we have to move on from things and the same with others we have to forgive others and let them move on release them free them to move on, not hold grudges. So important. Time's up. Have to go. Thank you. I'd like to ask you to leave here silently so that you don't lose the texture of where we've traveled together.